Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a sports nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens, powerlifter, strength athlete, Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild and numerous other things. So, right on. We are here again. Yes, we are. Always here for you. <laughs> got a few questions mm-hmm. this week, and uh, one of the things that came up, actually there's two links from stuff from uh, T Nation by the same person, I think, but uh, one of them that he wanted our input on this was, it's talking about the T-boosting and tendon healing effects of vitamin B5, and it goes on to talk about um, how deficiency of this nutrient can translate into restless sleep problems, pins and needles feeling, stomach cramps. Um, also lead to testosterone deficiencies because the testes biochemical articians and they require the vitamin and convert cholesterol to testosterone. Um, hmm. It goes on about that. Japanese researchers on the whole testosterone thing showed that people, when they were on a low, uh, high-fat diet in conjunction with exercise, seriously impeded B5 levels, at least in rats. Um, showed okay. that this decrease in B5 led to less testosterone. And then kind of the same thing as far as injuries. Um, you know, it, it goes it goes on about that. And then uh, it does say at the end that if you're on a normal diet uh, with appreciable percentages of fat and carbs, you probably don't need B5. Vegetarians, however, might think about supplementing it. Okay. And then also... If you are working out hard and limiting your carbs, you should consider taking B5. Yeah, um, yeah, I have some thoughts. Or if you've suffered a tendon injury. So right. he, he wanted our input on this. Before, before I bore everybody, what's your, what's your take on this? I mean, given the history of online, and I'm not going to point fingers, right? But given your history <laughs> and our history of online hype machines <laughs> and stuff like that, we know this is a very common B vitamin it's it's in virtually yeah. everything is this um you know are they what i'm waiting for is when's the b5 supplement coming out yeah no exactly <laughs> you know, that's what i'm looking for that when i see it from especially from this source um mm-hmm. like okay when are they gonna start selling it um because like you said it's in everything there's there's like nothing it's not in mm-hmm. so it's really hard to not have enough of this yep um even if i i would it has to be hard even if you're on a low-carb diet, if you're eating some kind. Because most people I know on a low-carb diet are eating some green vegetables and things like that. 
So right. Um, yep. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at on it. Yeah, I, me too. I mean, unless you know, I mean, we're fair here. We're going to be objective. If there's some emerging evidence that it's going to raise my uh, T levels twenty uh, percent or something vaguely meaningful, you know, or actually do something clinically relevant to my tendons. Um, I'm, you know, okay, if there's new evidence, but I mean, the, the prefix on pantothenic acid, which is B5, pantos means everywhere or everything, as far as I remember from the textbooks. So again, like you said, it's, it's everywhere. So supplementing it doesn't make a, a lot of sense to me. Uh, it's like so many things that if you take extra, it doesn't automatically mean enhanced function. You know, it could be like, um, I mean, if you're adequate, then you've got all six spark plugs in your engine, in your six-beater car, and you're good. But a seventh spark plug, where are you going to put it, right? That kind of thing. It won't add to anything. So I, I at this point, I remain skeptical, I guess. Um, but I, I could see that if you're on a low-carb diet, I mean, we do have enrichment laws in this country, and they put B vitamins and iron in a lot of grain products and stuff like that, um, including, you know, folate, thiamine, riboflavin. I'd have to look into the pantothenic thing. Honestly, I never looked into it much because it bored me because it's so pervasive. I mean, there's very little evidence, to my knowledge, of deficiency or toxicity. And, and if you think about it being in everything, like the prefix of the vitamin name suggests – yeah, you wouldn't have side effects. You wouldn't have deficiencies because it's in everything. So it's probably not toxic because it's in everything, and you're probably right. getting enough because it's in everything. But yeah, I, when you have highly restrictive diets, it, it, I guess it could become an issue. You know, the the yeah. tingling thing. I think listeners need to be careful because there are various B vitamins. Like if you don't have enough B12 because you're a vegan, let's say, and you're not supplementing it because B12 only comes from animal products, you can get that same kind of. Uh, neuronal tingling you know a paresthesis type effect mm -hmm. uh, because of nerve damage so it's not don't think oh if i'm tingling it's automatically this i mean hell it could be the the beta alanine or the niacin or something that you're taking you know um niacin being another b vitamin so that's a very vague sy symptom i want anybody to think oh i got tingling you know tingling i need the this b5 this pantothenic acid uh, and the last thing is metabolically for those of you who care Pantothenic acid is an important part of uh, a molecule, the fuel molecule for your central metabolic wheel, the Krebs cycle. So as you feed these little acetyl groups in that ultimately come from carbs and fat breakdown, um, the the linchpin between, let's say, like glycolysis and the Krebs cycle um, is this PDH reaction that forms acetyl-CoA, and acetyl-CoA needs pantothenic acid to work. But that's – I'm not going to go on about that. <laughs> Most people don't care. It's a linchpin, though, uh, in feeding fuel molecules into your central metabolic wheel. We'll just say that. But I, I will give it a look just in case there's something new out there. Maybe uh, Mike knows too. But, yeah, I think what we started with, your comment, was, was key. Like, yeah. mm, I am not going to go <laughs> spend 30 bucks a bottle or whatever this is going <laughs> to – be charged mm -hmm. as as some kind of tendon healer or t booster i am yeah. super and i know you are too like not impressed with any type of dietary supplement t booster they, they no. just have a terrible track record you know so all right uh here's a couple things from uh, listeners this one is almost just a reminder to everybody if you're a long-term listener 
we love you guys and we want to support this. I was talking to my son about this the other day. You know, banks and cable companies and all these different businesses, they give they give rewards to people who are new to entice them and they forget they're long-term people. So yeah. I hate that. So anyway, um, David wrote in and he just said, uh, hi guys, I hope all is well. Thanks for the great, great content. And I always learn something new from you guys. I've been a monthly supporter of the show for a few years. Uh, you mentioned recently about having some uh, links available to supporters of the show. When you get the opportunity, can you show me how to get them? So I showed him how to get these. I'm saying this partly. Thank you, David, for the reminder, by the way. I'm saying this because if you, and I'm talking to you, listener, <laughs> if you are a supporter of the show or you've made a uh, you know, significant donation in recent years. We want to say thank you. These are just information products, if you will. I, I don't really like that term so much, but I get it. Um, and there are a couple. There's nerdy ones. There's ones about boosting testosterone, realistically, actually. There's a couple of different audio, like literally just very brief audio uh, extras. And I will send them to you. So we've, had, we've only had uh, two or three people uh, I think three so far cash in on that. And you are welcome to them. Like if if you don't get enough of me and Phil, <laughs> then, yeah. you know, this is some extra stuff with practical uh, benefit. So so thank you, David. Um, the next one is from Jared. Uh, first names are what I stick with unless I ask permission usually. But we'll, so we'll say Dr. Jared. I want to give him credit where it's due. He says, hey, y'all. Uh, hope you guys are well and thanks for delivering week after week. <laughs> Uh, I just wanted to pitch a show idea. What your doctor needs to know about you being a power lifter or bodybuilder. Uh, you've touched on this before, but it might make a good show. Uh, here are some of the things that have come up in the past few years with my doctor uh, and how I have been slowly educating her to understand my health. So he touches on a couple of things like uh, body mass index. And he did point out, like I said, that we've touched on some of these things before, but a whole show on it might actually be good. Body mass index, like he points out, you know, hey, I've got a six-pack and a 30-inch waist, so I'm yeah. sorry that my BMI is 29, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, weight fluctuations. Uh, apparently his doctor recently was concerned that he had dropped nearly 20 pounds, and he's like, well, that's because I was cutting, right? And then you have to kind of explain that. So that's a good one too, actually, yeah. Jared. Um, I ran into that last summer uh, because I'm a teacher. During the summer, I get time to lift, and I, I lift a lot more, and I eat more, and I just grow some. That's the idea. And he's like, oh, you're eight pounds heavier. And I'm like, yep, uh, you know, I, I can lift again, you know. <laughs> um, and then liver enzymes, what I'll say is quote, unquote, liver enzymes. So twice he said he's, he's had levels out of this world. Um, and then he pointed me to some uh, – peer-reviewed articles, he, you know, being a professor, uh, Dr. Jared here, uh, sends me some stuff. And I, I'm with you, ma'am. So uh, I've seen this more than once in people, even trying to donate blood. They're like, oh, your liver enzymes are high. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, those same enzymes spill out of sore muscles. Uh, so that's a good one. I might even add to this list a few more. Like just off the top of my head, I can think that if somebody does have really high testosterone levels, uh, their hemoglobin and hematocrit might be high, quite high. Uh, and so, you know, you don't want them to think you've got some kind of uh, crazy erythrocytosis that's uh, clinical in some way. And you're like, no, you know, just I'll go donate blood, you know, relax. So 
Anyway, so he says, what are some other things uh, uh, that lifters should be aware of? So, yeah, I think we will uh, do a show on that. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's Doc. not a bad one. Yeah. Um, yeah, blood lipids. Gosh, you could go down a big list. Because a lot of the stuff that we do to ourselves is target date or temporary or extreme, right? But yes. it's not – you can't assume it's chronic and ever, ever present as a burden on us. Yes. Anyway. Okay. I have two little pieces of news, and I was remiss. We're going to do a show about measuring uh, strength and power and how Phil does it at Strength Guild, how I might do it in the lab. I think it helps sort of define strength and power because a lot of people, I think they might have a vague definition. So we're going to, that's what the topic of the day is going to be how we measure strength and power. Um, this, let me start with the first one. Both of these are unfortunately things about don't eat this, don't eat that. Strength and muscle sport news. And this kind of pisses me off these days. I, I keep threatening to write an article for a magazine. I have it in, in a couple of years now, but, and just entitle it, what may I eat, right? What am I allowed to eat uh. that's not going to kill me? So both of these things are, are warnings in a sense. One, I I'm really skeptical of. The other, I agree with. The first one, of which I'm skeptical, here it comes, Phil. You're going to roll your eyes, but uh, protein-rich foods may damage heart health. Here we go. Like The carnivore people aren't going to like this, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. But This is written by Annie Lennon, and it came through Lab Roots. But it says, high-protein diets are becoming more and more popular as a method to increase muscle mass and lose weight. New research is showing that excessive consumption of protein-rich foods may damage cardiovascular health due to the high presence of certain amino acids, uh, particularly two sulfur-containing amino acids, methionine and cysteine. So, or cysteine, depending on how you pronounce that particular one. We have to be careful because they're similarly uh, pronounced amino acids. Anyway, for their study, uh, researchers from Penn State they analyzed health and diet information from 11,576 people uh, taken by the Centers for Disease Control. They looked at their cholesterol, triglycerides, glucose, insulin, a lot of sort of cardiometabolic things. Um, and when you see a number like that, everybody, uh, 11,576, that means this is an observational study almost for yeah. sure right out of the gate, which means it's not cause and effect. So already the title, you know, I think is – it's uh, – What's that called? What's the term for a, just attention-grabbing kind of BS yeah. titles, you know? Um, anyway, after controlling results for body weight, the researchers found that on average, each participant had almost two and a half times the estimated requirement uh, of these amino acids. Alongside this, they found that with higher sulfur amino acid intake, there were higher composite cardiometabolic risk scores. So again, all those things I mentioned together that could you know, signify the presence of heart disease or the, the onset of, of heart disease. So it says the correlations, and there it is, right, correlational, not causal, uh, remained after accounting for things like age, sex, uh, health history of hypertension and diabetes. The co-author of this study, Professor John Ritchie, said, quote, for decades it has been understood that diets restricting sulfur amino acids were beneficial for longevity in animals. So now we've got some evidence uh, in people as well. So I don't think that's going to sway anybody. I know that's not swaying me um, because 
you know, yes, there are different amino acids and they do different things to you, right? Of the 20 different amino acids important to human health, they, sometimes they do vastly different things. Um, but does that counteract all of the other things that you might get in meat? The zoo chemicals, you know, the carnosine and the creatine and the complete proteins and, mm-hmm. and, and, and. Um, so they, in my memory, they've tried to link protein to heart disease more than once in the past. Uh, but there's also definitely data out there that says it doesn't harm heart health. So I don't know. Um, observational stuff that's not causal, but you know, it just is. I don't know what it is about protein. People love to try to demonize it, you know, that, <laughs> hence the book that you're on the cover of, Phil. Yeah. Um, yeah. Forever. And I mean, so you can't eat carbs, you can't eat fats. What's left is protein, and now you can't eat too much of that. So. I'm I'm not going to live on berries and twigs, man. You know, yeah. uh, I do like berries. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I like berries and big old pancakes with a side of eggs. You know. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. This next one, I, I I do tend to agree with more. It's another kind of food warning, um, and I'll tell you about why afterwards. But soybean oil found to change gene expression in the brain. This is by Carmen Leach, and I really like her. Um, again, th- working through this lab catcher uh, through lab roots. Um, soybean oil has been used for frying, making foods like margarine and salad dressing, uh, and many industrial applications. It's a very common, right? Um, the most commonly produced and consumed edible oil in the United States. The most. That's saying a lot because we eat a lot of corn oil and safflower and cottonseed oil and stuff like that. Um, what I consider kind of crappy uh, omega-6 sources, you know, inflammatory kinds of sources, vegetable oil things. Uh, soybean oil has been promoted as a quote-unquote good fat because it contains polyunsaturated fats. Well, again, wow. Which kind, right? Of the polyunsaturates, you can have omega-3, like from your salmon, or you can have omega-6 from crappy, you know, corn oil and, and again, all these other vegetable oils, other than olive, right, uh, or canola. But, yeah, you can't say polyunsaturated equals good. They ha- they're they almost opposite the omega-3 versus omega-6 polyunsaturates. Anyway, okay, so it's been promoted because it's a, it's a polyunsaturate. New research pr- promote, promoted or reported here in the journal Endocrinology suggests that the oil can also impact neurological function and may influence the development of anxiety, depression, autism and alzheimer's well that's damning so it says in this work the researchers fed mice diets so a rodent study here uh rich in one of three types of fat soybean oil coconut oil which of course is 60 percent medium chain uh sat fat uh or soybean oil that was genetically engineered to have low levels of the linoleic acid omega-6 that i was just bitching about the soybean oil significantly impacted the hypothalamus, right, of the brain. Um, whole coconut oil had no such effects. So this is going to have the people that put coconut oil in their coffee or, or whatever for the MCT source. They're going to be cheering. Um, it says there were about 100 genes that were not being properly expressed when mice were fed the soybean oil. Yikes. And I pulled the original paper here, too from Deol, D-E-O-L, and colleagues. Um, 
dysregulation of hypothalamic gene expression and the oxytocinergic system by soybean oil diets in male mice. And again, it talks about the popularity of soybean oil. Soybean oil is quite a mix of different types of fatty acids. I think people need to realize foods are not just one. All foods are mixes of different fats, uh, fatty acids. So it's not going to be just omega-6 or omega-3 polyunsaturate. It's not going to be just saturated fat. I mean, even bacon and beef fat, it's got a significant amount of monounsaturated fat, and in, in it. it's not all sat fat. Anyway, um, so the soybean thing, kind of disturbing here. Um, she warns, don't throw out, or somebody here is warning, don't throw out your tofu, soy milk, etc. Um, anyway, for me, I don't know why. I'm just not a big fan of this. My history with this is that in the 90s and early 2000s, it felt like every nutrition conference had a big sponsorship by like the soy growers of America or something like that. And the dietitians loved it. At least that's my perception, right? That they are loving soy protein, you know, soybean oil, soy, even ink, soy ink, anything you can make from soy. And I mean, let's face it here in Ohio, I drive by fields and fields of soybean, soybeans um, and corn. That's what seems to be what we love here. Um, and yeah, these guys are saying, listen, some of this gene abnormalities could lead to neurological, um, serious neurological problems. I mean, this list, anxiety, depression, autism, and Alzheimer's. My God, for an oil that, that, that's th that popular. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I'd be uh, seeking that. Let's put it that way. So I tend to agree with that one. So yeah, I you know what, the the... The carry home message, I think, to listeners, it's the same thing I tell students, is get the crappy vegetable oils out of your cupboards, that meaning, again, corn oil, soybean oil, cottonseed oil, things that I'm just, you know, rich sources of omega-6, yes, of other things too. And then get some olive oil in your cupboards. And not only is olive oil a healthy monounsaturated fat, I mean, the Mediterranean Food Guide has had an entire layer just for olive oil. Think about a food group that is one food. Like, it's that important. Uh, olive oil isn't just healthy monounsaturated. It's also got, like, polyphenols, like tea and other things. I would really try to switch over. If you say, I don't like olive oil, uh, Dr. Lowry, well, you know what? Um, you don't have to get the green, fragrant EVOO, you know, the extra virgin stuff. You can get some pretty mild, neutral, fairly cheap olive oil from uh, places like Aldi's, Save-A-Lot, Costco, Sam's Club, Right, So the fat choices you make are hugely important to mental function. And um, like a lot of some of the things they just mentioned as being problematic with soy are actually fixed with omega-3 uh, fats from fish. So people consume more EPA and DHA actually have enhanced mood, you know, arguably less depression, mild depression or anxiety or things like that. So anyway, maybe a, a word to the wise, if you've got vegetable oils like soybean oil in your cupboard you might want to take a closer look and read up on it that's all okay um let's go to break we come back uh we're going to ask phil a few things about how he measures strength and power in the gym other than the big three lifts that's sort of a no-brainer and then i'll talk about how we do it in the lab. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto 
I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text the Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everybody, we're back. It's Phil and Lonnie, and we're going to talk about measuring strength and power. Like, how do we do it? It will help define it, I think, for a lot of people. I know a lot of our listeners already know. Uh, but other than bench squat and deadlift, Phil, uh, how would you figure out if someone is truly strong or powerful? Well, I think, like you said, I think the first thing is defining it because I think a lot of people get that wrong from the first place. Um, whereas pure limit strength would be the maximum amount you can lift regardless of how slow it takes or how long it takes. Mm -hmm. Whereas power in my mind would be, you know, weight over distance versus time. Yes. So, versus time. Yep. Like, yeah. So moving, um, a mass quickly. Mm -hmm. So a large mass quickly. Um, so of course we're testing it all the time. Like daily we're testing kind of both of those just in training. 
uh, and watching each other lift. So I try and get my lifters to always lift fast, um, even though, like I've talked about this before, the power lifts are known as like the slow lifts, but the only reason they're slow is because they're so heavy. Um, so like when I'm going for a max squat, of course it's moving slow. That's because it's so heavy. We're trying to move it as quickly as possible. Um, the poundage just make it move slowly. But uh, yeah. how we test it, uh, man, I'm a fan of a few things. Like power is a little easier to test in different ways than, than pure limit strength. Um, you know, limit strength you are kind of based to – you know, your press, your squat, your deadlift, your things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to have anybody do a, I don't know, a one rep max freaking stone throw or something, yeah. you know, yeah. something that we'd use for power. Um, I'm a real fan of uh, a throw for height or a med ball toss, but I, I really like to throw for height because we can add a little more weight to it, Oh, mm-hmm. um, which we take from Highland Games. So like a weight for height. Um it's a good way that people can really sell out because a lot of those moves, like the, it, your power is limited from the person being afraid of like on the med ball throw or something like that, where you throw it behind you, which I know they've used like on the hockey teams and things like that to really do well at that. You need to sell out to where you just land on the ground. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you don't have a very padded place to do that, you're mentally going to hold back a little bit so you can catch yourself and not hurt yourself. Whereas with an overhead toss, you can two things. You have a target, it's easier to throw things high and powerful if you have a target to look at. Um, and you're throwing straight up, so I'm not extending backwards. So, And like I said, we're able to add a little weight to it, and we can up the weight as it goes. So we are exerting power against an object, which I think helps. Because um, there's a difference in between just exerting your body against the earth. So Yeah, I like it. That's, that's very definitely ballistic. one of the ones we use. Yeah, so. like that's almost the definition of ballistic or explosive. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, my weightlifters, of course, they do it all the time in their lifts. So snatch and clean and jerk. I mean, that's. I think we've talked about it before. Powerlifting and weightlifting should probably have swapped names years and years ago, but right. it's too late now. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, their whole sport is built around power, the production of power, and so uh, opposite for for powerlifting. But, um, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, other than that, it's vertical jumps, uh, box, uh, like height jumps, things like that for, for body weight. Um, a big one for that, I mean, I think the box jump thing gets a little overstated because it's it's less about creating power and how good you are at pulling your legs back up So yes, in some of those situations. So I think a, a box jump where you have to land on straight legs is a little more uh, apt to actually testing power. Or just a Vertex. Vertex are neat. I mean, they're, they're good. They're hard to cheat. And, you know, so. It's, um, it's a good point about skill. You know, like there's a lot of sort of agility drills that are meant to assess, like in caffeine research, like power output. Or if it's something mm-hmm. like if you're better at tucking up your knees, like you said, or if there's some yeah. agility or skill component, mm-hmm. that that's at least when I look at stuff like pre-workouts and caffeine and coffee, that screws with the data a lot. Because if you're if you're more skilled at one of these things, you can cash in on the stimulant, right? From my perspective, kind of thing. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. When you talk about overhead throws, this is interesting. But uh, when I was in Minnesota, we had a, a better Smith machine than I have now. So I one of the ways I try to take some skill out of movements, and yes, it might be bench or squat, but is the Smith machine, right? Because you yeah. can't arc things, or you, you know, there's only so much you can do. 
But uh, when I was in Minnesota, we did bench throws. And the interesting mm-hmm. thing about that, instead of just an explosive bench press with, let's say, 30 to 50%, you, you just all out throw it. Because if you think about a regular lift, you break at the end. Otherwise, you're going to yes. throw it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. bench throws up, up the guides, the guidelines yeah. of the Smith machine, that was really explosive. We were looking at our um, energy drink called Redline, and it was, it was <laughs> definitely helping with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I like the idea of almost that kind of throw. Uh, when I say on the Smith machine, we use a, a ballistic measurement system. I really like it. It's a uh, Australian uh, manufacturer, but uh, it's similar to a Tendo. And I've talked mm-hmm. about this before, but you know, it's got like the tether around the ed- end of the barbell. And again, especially with a Smith machine, you're not going to dump the load or on one side or the other or anything like that. And it doesn't create any tension that would do that anyway, but it, it will give me all kinds of variables. Yes. It'll give what I would call strength, like just force and Newtons, mm-hmm. right? But it'll also give power. So mm-hmm. now we're talking about Watts and to your point, that's, yeah. that's work over time, right? So, yes. and then rate of force development, which is like, uh, I would explain to subjects, it's like a dragster effect. It's like acceleration out of the hole, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the rate of force development, uh, bar velocity is kind of I- inherent to power um, because just just the bar speed is very cool, you know. So if I see people moving, they start off with like one meter per second, and then they they increase it to one point one or one point two even meters mm-hmm. per second, and something like a, a bench or a squat, um, that's more velocity, and that's by definition more explosive. Right. So, and again, using lighter loads, that's quite different from what you said. Like, let's figure out your one rep max with one of those tables or something like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No. And I mean, I think, I think it's understated even in strength sports. Let's say go the power powerlifting, I guess, because weightlifting, of course, then you need to create a bunch of power. But uh, how important being dynamic and being powerful is. I mean, because most lifters, their, their sticking point is not going to be in the bottom of the deadlift of the bench or the squat um it's going to be somewhere in the middle and so Mm -hmm. if we're able to create power you're able to travel through that sticking point yeah yeah by creating speed (laughs) oh and that's why i'm always pushing speed with all my lifters it's like plus i mean if you go back and look at it and if you hear you know louis simmons talk or anybody talk i mean it's not cheating to move things fast. You know, there was a time and a place and there is a time and a place for time under tension lifts and things like that. But a big argument against them for a long time from the bodybuilding crowd was, well, you're cheating because you're moving it fast. Well, I made that weight move quickly. (laughs) So how am I really cheating? I'm Mm -hmm. actually exerting more force Mm -hmm. against a submaximal load, you know? Right. So, and that's, we're able to get more done from a strength development standpoint maybe not a muscle building standpoint but from a strength strength development standpoint by trying to move all our loads very quickly um yeah and it just trains us to be fast and hopefully neurally it adapts us to where you know we're able to turn on more of what we have at any given time so yeah there's an old phrase and we've heard it for years i'm sure um a lot of the listeners too which is the muscles are slaves to the nervous system right so if you're if you're constantly dumping the maximal amount of electricity down those those motor neurons, right, you're going to activate – I mean the type 2 muscle fibers are the big fast ones, right? The big ones are the fast ones. That's why it was always so absurd to hear that, oh, look, he's big and bulky and slow. It's like, no, those big muscles 
are by definition, <laughs> you know, yeah. probably fast. They're more fatigable, right? <clears throat> because they're not endurance type fibers. But screw that. Yes. Who wants that? I mean, I don't right now. Yeah. So, um, I mean, if you're a MMA fighter, you better have some endurance or something like mm-hmm. that, muscular endurance. And this goes back to your point earlier about how do you define this? That we're not talking about muscular endurance here. This isn't sit ups yes. or push ups. <laughs> you know how many you can get in a minute or something like that this is um all out you know maximal dynamic effort ballistic kinds of things get those type two big fast fibers if you ever look in a book i mean people don't believe me look in some uh, neurology books at like the size of the nerve and the muscle fibers like the motor whole motor neuron of the type twos they're huge and they dwarf those little endurance type one fibers so those are the ones we want to coax our body and hey we like this you know and you get kind of nerve terminal branching like at the motor end plate area and all that kind of stuff very cool adaptations mm-hmm. uh not necessarily more mitochondria or the usual things we talk about with exercise but um yeah it's a lot of that sort of uh, neurochemical and, and electrical system stuff Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at it for in, in strike sports. I mean, uh, there's tons of all the bands and chains and things like that is all uh, they were all brought in to develop power. You know, yeah. when I put a bunch of band tension on the bar, now I can go, like you said, when, when I'm doing a regular squat, if it's submaximal, I will auto break towards the end of it. Whereas if I have a crap load of band tension, I can now, you know, extend my energy, my output to the end range of motion because mm-hmm. i won't come off the ground unsafely anymore yep um the bands keep me tethered to the ground breaking so, effect yeah <laughs> yeah so or the chains and stuff like that okay i can go really fast because it's going to get heavier as i go up and i need to you know i need i need to uh create power to to overcome that force that keeps getting heavier so yep yep um like that. one of the things at least um and i'm guessing you probably don't do this um but it's almost like this default, and I think it's overused, in my opinion. But uh, in fact, I'm writing a, a journal article about this right now. But we tend to default in exercise physiology to the 30 second Wingate bike sprint as a yeah. power marker. Oh, look how powerful! That's not even the same um, energy system, right? Yeah. As something like you were saying, like a vertical throw or a vertical yeah. jump uh, or a broad jump. Or a ballistic bench throw. I mean, it's it's literally different energy systems and, and things going on. So why do we keep using that? Oh, you know, look, you're you're only cranking out maybe I don't know five or six hundred watts as a dude. Uh, that's not very good. Let's get let's try to get that up to eight hundred watts. And again, you could do it per kg of body weight and all this sort of thing. But but the point is, well. Yeah, but I don't do that. Like a sustained 30-second effort, yes, the early stage of of it when you peak, that's impressive. Mm -hmm. Like I have two sets of norms on the wall, or at least down by the the Wingate bike in our lab. One of them is gen pop. You know, that makes the the college athletes feel pretty good about themselves. Hey, Mm -hmm. I mean like 80th percentile, 90th percentile. Then you bust out the pro rugby player norms, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh. Yeah. yeah, I suck. Like these guys are yeah. cranking out a <laughs> thousand watts, twelve hundred yeah. watts, just crazy shit. But again, you have to think about if you're not specialized in that. Like as a power lifter, I don't know why anybody in your gym would be that stoked about. I mean, it's kind of fun because you're like, look how powerful yeah. I am. But it's not your sport, you know. No, and I mean, in my in my mind, especially because a lot of what I'm dealing with is strength sports athletes. 
So at the purest level, power is a weight moved over a very short amount of time. Yeah. Hopefully a weight moved very far over a short amount of time. You know, if I can have somebody throw 56 pounds for 23 feet over a half a second, that's powerful. Yes. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. I mean, yep. uh, so not not a, a duration of 30 seconds or longer. Right. Know? Yep. Well, and again, I, I don't want to go down a whole big list. We do have like the uh, Margaria or Margaria Kalman test, which is a step test for explosion. But then we start getting into, again, skill levels. You can get better mm-hmm. at that. So, like, for example, if you take two or three steps at a time, the more flight time you get, generally the better you do. Yes. So, you know, there's a there's a lot that goes into some of that stuff from a skill perspective, which is why I like the Smith machine. I'm, I'm, I'm literally just almost looking at neuromuscular function, you know, almost think like a twitching, explosively twitching muscle and take the skill out of it because that's something that that's not my job. Right, yes. as a physiologist, that's your job, Phil, to get the yep. somebody yep. more skilled and efficient in no. the squat or the I don't know the yeah. clean or whatever you know. And that's what I like about the throws. I mean, literally, either a med ball throw overhead for distance or a throw for height. It's not that skillful, you know. Now you get into Highland Games and you start going with a spinning throw or something like that. Yes, but I'm talking just a standing throw where you're basically swinging a weight like a kettlebell mm-hmm. and just tossing it overhead. There's there's not a lot of skill involved. It's just Pull real hard and extend. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to get it to go for height. Now, uh, and same thing with the lifts you're talking about, like throwing a bench press or something like that. As long as you know how to bench, you can do it. Um, there's nothing, there's no real cheat we can give you. Yeah. So so uh, I think it's cool that you borrow from your your side sport, you know, your side yeah. hustle there with the, yeah. with the Highland <laughs> Games and the throws and stuff. Uh, is there anything else you would use to look at like, wow, just, I mean, I don't know, a standing overhead, like military style press or, or not so, or, you know, clean and press. I mean, is there anything else that you is in your menu of that? Or do you really like the throws? No, I really like the throws. We've been messing around with some, some pressing lately where you actually, because I've got a new like Viking press. So where you actually throw the thing like you, because it's hooked onto like a lever arm. Mm-hmm. So where we actually push, and you can okay, let's see if somebody can flip that all the way over. Okay, um, and I think we'll see. We'll see how that pans out. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't say. Yeah, it's amazing right now. We just started messing with experimental. It. But, yeah, uh, yeah, things like that. And I mean, um, other than that, I mean, like I said, we're always using some bands and chains and things like that, especially on. I only use that stuff more on when I have a lifter that is. Uh, they have a glaring weakness in creating power. You know, they're just slow. So yeah. I was like, hey, we need to get you faster. So yep. um, bands are a neat way to do that because they force you to go fast. The minute you get lazy, they start creating more tension and they staple you back down to the ground. So you have to keep moving quickly. So I like, I, you know, we've talked before about how, I mean, uh, bodybuilders and even powerlifters, powerlifters are obviously more of a performance sport, but they're not particularly athletic. Like we talked about how Eddie Cohn will, will mention that, right? That kind of stuff. But uh, it's interesting to me that power is still the name of the game. Like, uh, you know, you can read a lot of textbooks and they will say it's not force development. It's not s- slow grinding strength that makes a good athlete. It's power, right? Mm-hmm. If you can't develop it very quickly over the course of a fraction of a second, what good are you, right, in a lot yes. of sports? Uh, and in that way, powerlifting is similar to more athletic things. You have to develop that rapid explosion of force. Um, yeah. 
Or, yeah, you know, you're probably not going to be as good. I know there are grinding lifters. I get that, right? But yes. at the same time, even they would probably benefit from the speed work and the explosive work. For sure. Powerlifting, I think, feeds well to a point into all sports. Now, there's a point of over, you know, we can overdo it. Like, I don't need to make a baseball player squat 600 pounds. I just don't. It's, it's a waste of our time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a waste of his time. Um, but to a point, yeah, I mean, just to, you know, I've had players come in and literally they went from the slowest on the team to the second fastest by not running. We just got their squat up, you know, Interesting. like I had a kid, that he, he came in, he could barely squat the 15 pound bar and we got him squatting like 225. All of a sudden he was faster at running just because he, he had the ability, you know, he yeah. didn't have the muscle there to be able to locomote himself engine quickly. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. We just had to build a bigger motor. And I think a lot of that with young kids is, is great. Now, do I think professional athletes need to be, you know, we need to turn them into powerlifters? No, it's probably going to hurt their game. Um, but a base in that uh, is great. And I think we're getting on a, on a different tangent here, but I think a lot of these, especially with young kids, they're, they're sending kids to these, these clinics and things with uh, sports specific training, uh, they they have no base built at all. They don't need that. They they need a, a, a muscular base before they need all this fancy mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you just got that, they'd be less injury prone, and they'd be better at the sport just from building a, a simple base. You're right. I mean, it, it is a little tangential, but it is funny, right? It's it's almost like training someone to expertly drive a Toyota Prius, whatever. I don't know yeah. about those cars. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's like you only have so much engine there, so you could be as yeah. efficient as you want, and you're... <laughs> yeah, exactly. You get this little kid running down the field with a two-cylinder engine. Yeah, you know, It's like, exactly. let's just make him stronger. He'll be faster. Yeah, you know? yeah. And even things like... The amount of power it takes for, like, let's say a running back to run at full speed and then change direction now. You need strength, you know, to be able to hold up to doing that. Mm-hmm. And to be able to do that quickly. Because that the amount of force that's going to that complete braking, you know, full speed straight ahead, okay, turn around. Now. And it, there's a lot of force happening. Oh, there. yeah. And if you don't have the musculature and the tendon strength and things to, to hold up to that, then it's not going to happen. Yep. Not quickly, anyways. Yep. So... Okay. Um, Everybody, we are going to try to leave a little bit of time here. Uh, We mentioned, I think a couple of weeks ago, Mike Nelson is traveling uh, down in Australia, and he said he might be able to give us a 10-minute clip. So we're going to wind it down here, Phil and I, right now. Hopefully there's some gold nuggets there for you in defining and how we measure uh, strength and power in the way that our sports might find it interesting. but we'll we'll give a little time for Mike if he can come in. If he can't, then uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, I just want to give one more shout-out, and it's just because we just announced it this week, but the Windler NOV meet. Oh, right. Um, we just put that up, so if you want to go check that out, uh, it's all over Facebook. I put it on the the uh, Iron Radio Facebook page and stuff like that. I'm sure we'll talk about it more in the, in the future, but uh, it's going to be bigger this year. We've got full Highland Games, full strongman competition, the NOV meet, plus live music, plus food and beer and everything. So it's going to be a good time. That sounds fun. Last time, I think I was at the ISSN meeting. I hope the dates line up so I can actually come out to that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So Cool. Hi, everybody. Thanks a lot. Hey, what's going on? It's Dr. Mike T. Nelson here from Australia. Wanted to record just a, a short blip for you for iron radio here i was not able to be on the show live 
since it is when we record about one o'clock in the morning. So opted not to do it. I'm down here for about two and a half weeks, hanging out. I went to my good buddy uh, Luke Lehman's wedding. Luke runs Muscle Nerds. If you're interested in any education, check them out. We got off the plane after sleeping. Well, I slept about an hour and a half. So I was up for around 40 hours. And then, as you probably know, they drive on the wrong side of the road or the left side of the road. Everything in the car is actually reversed. So your signal light compared to what the U.S. is is on the other side. So I kept running the wipers instead of the turn signal. You're sitting on the right-hand side instead of the left-hand side. Even the mirrors and everything else are in different the same location, but because you're swapped over to the right side, man, it feels super weird. Uh, big shout out, thanks to Kenneth, who came out to the airport and uh, gave us the rule of the land and uh, let us follow him around for a while, which was super helpful because making left-hand turns, it literally feels like you're trying to turn into oncoming traffic. And after only sleeping about an hour and a half, that was... Quite challenging, but we made it to our hotel okay, and then I opted to take an Uber <laughs> the rest of the day instead of trying to drive until I got sleep. So we drove out to uh, Gordon County in Australia, which is in the middle of nowhere, and it was really pretty. Uh, it was very mountainous. I actually got to see kangaroos, which I was very excited about. I saw two roos my first day, two the second day, and three on the third day. Uh, so it was pretty exciting, and the wedding was great. It was an area without any Wi-Fi or cell phones, so it was nice to unplug for quite a while. I think as a helpful tip to the listeners, anytime you get a chance to just unplug or turn off your phone, have more boundaries on that, even if you're not looking at it, I think just removing that as an option is super helpful. So other than that, we've been hanging out. We then drove down to Yamba, which is down on the coast, on the eastern side, south of Brisbane, which I guess is how you're supposed to pronounce it, not Brisbane. That was super fun. Uh, shout out to Maddie for letting us hang out at his place, use his gym. If you're ever in the area, check out the gym in Yamba. Super cool place. They have lots of turf, monkey bars cable stacks, equipment, barbells, like everything that you need. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. And then now we're up, uh, staying with my buddy Jack Woodrup. Does a lot of vertical jump training in Budrum, which is kind of on the Sunshine Coast. Uh, although today it is actually a little bit uh, sunny. So one thing I've noticed about driving around, so yesterday was a little bit better. It was about a five and a half hour drive. And I've noticed after doing a two-hour drive, we did a three-and-a-half-hour drive the one day, and then a five-hour drive, maybe the one day was a little bit longer, of constantly trying to think the entire time of while you're driving, staying on the, the left-hand side of the road. Like, man, I've been super tired at the end of those days. I mean, sometimes on road trips in the U.S., we do a fair amount of driving. Uh, but I think a lot of times we underestimate the amount of thought and cognitive work and how sleep and regeneration is very useful to combat that. So for training, 
I've noticed this with my clients and myself too. If you have a period of time where you're doing a lot of cognitive work, uh, your movement's probably going to be a little bit less. And I find that your recovery is not usually as good either. So I've noticed that here gets into the whole debate about is there really CNS fatigue or not. But running cognitive processes and then trying to go to the gym, usually performance may not be the best. So allowing yourself a little bit more breathing room and sleep if you can. Super helpful with that. Uh, we were able to train here at World Gym yesterday. That was super fun. Did the old school kind of dude bra training and played around on different equipment and machines. Did a short tour of the a supplement store that was next next to it. And Australia is a little bit different. Like some stuff is not legal here. Other stuff is. And they had some of the really large um, weight gainer uh, supplement type. It reminds me of some stuff from like the 80s and 90s. And some of the other stuff was, was super up to date. Uh, it was just an interesting kind of mix. Not quite as incredibly backwards as when Lonnie and I were in Japan the one time with the dust on the supplements in the Gold's Gym in Japan from like 1984. Uh, in terms of uh, nutrition, well, it's pretty easy to get pretty high quality food in most places around here. Now, granted, we're a little bit closer to the coast, which makes it easier. My um, newfound protein source has been kangaroo, which is actually quite tasty. It's super lean, it's not very gamey, and it was actually quite good. Well, so my buddy Jack and his fiance they made some for us for Jody and I when we got in. I went to the grocery store and picked up some more. Had it for breakfast with some eggs and cashews this morning. And it's relatively inexpensive also. So another protein source, I guess, if you're traveling down here in Australia. I haven't been able to do any kiteboarding yet. Uh, hopefully will in the next couple of days. It's been very hot, super humid. And, and kind of rainy, but been able to get a fair amount of movement in. We'll be here for a couple more days. We are back to Brisbane, and then about a week from now, I'm teaching RPR, Reflexive Performance Reset, uh, just outside of Brisbane, about 15 miles. We'll be there doing uh, level one and level two. So if you're listening to this and you're in Australia, this is, as of now, the only time that RPR is going to be taught down here. This is actually the very first time it's ever been taught down here. Uh, so check it out. You can go to the website. We'll just type in the old Google's Reflexive Performance uh, Reset. It's a way to do your own activations. So you can do all the work on yourself, which is really nice. And if you are a hands-on therapist or have a medical license, you can then obviously use it as hands-on work also. So that's a short update from Australia here with a few tips for you. Thank you guys. Talk to you later. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's 
Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. Uh, Knee sleeves, wraps of some kind. Things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists... The bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.